a holy king, a carpenter. But you are the living word, Come on. Come on, Houston, you can say it one time with us. Send down from glory. Many things. Come on, somebody say it. Awesome ruler. Gentle redeemer. God with us, God with us, the living truth, and what a friend we have in you. This is what we like to call you, Jesus, Jesus, that's what we call you, yeah, you were born in a manger, but on a tree, you died to save his man, Jesus, Jesus, that's what we call you.
good morning, good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. To God be the glory. We're going to get right into the word of God, but let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, we thank you, oh God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made. We thank you, oh God, for access to salvation. We thank you, oh God. We give you glory, oh God. We give you honor. As we give you praise this morning, we say amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, we want you to open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning. Here we are one week before Easter. Easter, the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today is traditionally referred to as Palm Sunday, commemorating Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem as people paved the roads, greeting and laying down palms along his path as a means of honoring him. I want to give you a little history on the time leading up to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. If you turn to John chapter 7, scripture tells us, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee, and he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the booth was at hand. Now the Feast of the Booth was a festival where the Israelites participated in various activities that were meant to remind them of the time spent wandering in the desert. The Old Testament scripture of Leviticus in chapter 23 provides us with the most detailed information concerning this particular festival. On the first day, the people would take branches from the palms and willows and other luxuriant trees and rejoice before the Lord as they were to live in these booths for the week to emulate for their descendants how they lived in booths when God brought them out of Egypt. So you see, the festival was a grand celebration as well as a way to pass on to their descendants an appreciation and a practice of praise as they remembered the awesomeness of God in their present and in their past. The festival was considered to be the place to be and Jesus' brothers wanted him to travel with them to the festival but Jesus told them to go ahead for that his time had not yet and now I can just imagine, you know, siblings being siblings that, you know, Jesus' brothers probably rolled their eyes at him and, and mumbled to themselves, here he goes again, trying to be a talking holier than thou. Yeah, you know they said it, you know they did. But Jesus was all about moving according to God's timing, not man's, despite whatever man thought or whatever they may have said. Jesus had to wait. Had Jesus got caught up in the hype of the celebration and left with his brothers, the Jews would have killed him before God's perfect timing. Jesus did, however, travel to the festival. And in John 7 and 10, the scripture reads, He also went up to the feast, not openly, but, at, but as if it were secret. Some of us need to take heed and learn from Jesus and, and stop broadcasting and posting every move you make and every little step that you take. Sometimes God's directives are just for you. And when you have a relationship with God, you'll be able to rightly discern what is just for you and what is meant to be shared. Y'all will get that later on. As we continue to read the scripture, it tells us in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach the word of God. And it tells us that the Jews were astonished by his teachings. And they were not particularly astonished in a good way. They, 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 they had some, some issues with what he was saying. They, they did not approve what he was saying, but that didn't prevent Jesus from teaching the righteousness of God. They challenged 
what he said and likely how he said it and when he chose to say it and the way that he reprimanded their lifestyle. Jesus answered them and he said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. In other words, Jesus proclaimed himself to be the messenger, not the creator of the message. And I'm sure that that further angered the Jews and made them even more committed to killing Jesus. But Jesus was so committed to teaching righteousness despite their liking or, or acceptance that he boldly said to them, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and not one unrighteousness fiber is within him. Then he asked them a profound question. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you kept the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The word of God and the laws of righteousness was given to the people long before the birth of Jesus. But because they had become comfortable living outside of the righteousness of God, they did not like the fact that Jesus came along exalting truth. The fact that he wanted to exalt the truth of God and remind them of their unrighteous ways, they wanted to kill him. I posted a quote the other day that said, what angers people about truth is that it sheds light on the lie they live. It tickles me when I post words of wisdom of that caliber because I don't get many likes because people, even church folks, don't even want too many people to know that they're down with the truth. But, but now, watch this. Let me fall away from my godly directive and, and start posting some foolishness about some celebrities and watch uh, that's a different topic for a different day and I promise you at the end of this message not too many of you will likely share or post this message either and that's okay because I don't minister the word of God for the accolades of people but for the glory of God and I want you to hold on because I'm pulling up on Truth Boulevard and I'm going to take the scenic route. Today's sermon topic is a non-traditional look at Palm Sunday. God started speaking to me early last week about today's sermon. And if I'm perfectly honest with you, as he was revealing to me the directives and scriptures for the message, I didn't even realize that we were approaching Palm Sunday. When I did realize that, okay, this is Palm Sunday coming up, I, I, I immediately began to think, okay, I, maybe I need to push this sermon back um, two weeks because this is certainly not what is deemed as a Palm Sunday or even an Easter Sunday sermon, but God would not release me to push this message and I am so grateful that I have some godly counsel around me that won't bite their tongue. And they told me, if God gave it to you, you better deliver it. And then they began to pour into me. And as I began to collaborate and, and pull scriptures together, God began to show me how Jesus did not allow himself to get so caught up in the traditions of celebrations that he disregarded God's timing or the message of truth concerning the disobedient lifestyles of those who called themselves children of God. So this morning, I'm going to follow Jesus' lead and, and give you the message God gave me for the day. Any questions? See God. You know, sometimes to paint a clear picture of what's going on in the New Testament scripture, you have to refer to Old Testament scripture. I heard someone once refer to the New Testament as a replacement for the Old Testament. Let me tell you, the Bible is a two-part series 
of a unified message. One does not replace the other. This morning, I'm going to journey through the book of Hosea. If you have never read it for yourself, I encourage you to read it. It's one of the shortest books of the Bible. It's very powerful, though. Challenge yourself. Read it. First, let me tell you the meaning of the name Hosea. Hosea means salvation. And salvation is a means by which we who are sinful can be repentant and reconciled to God. See, in our sinful state, we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our entry requires salvation. And Jesus laid down his life to pay for our sins, a debt that we could never pay so that we all could have access to repent and commit to righteousness to receive the gift of salvation. Hosea was an anointed prophet who journeyed to Israel during a time when Israel was enjoying both political and material prosperity, as well as moral corruption and spiritual bankruptcy. The book of Hosea speaks boldly about the characteristics of whoredom that controlled the Israelites, and if truth be told, is controlling the culture in which we live today. Hosea's focus was on Israel's waywardness and breach of their covenant relationship with God. As you read the book of Hosea, a shocking occurrence happens. God instructs Hosea to marry a harlot, a woman who was of a sinful character, a woman who God knew would repeatedly commit adultery in her marriage to Hosea. But God told Hosea to build a domestic life with her. But why? This marriage was meant to symbolize the sin, the unfaithfulness, and the violations of the covenant that Israel had made. As you read the book of Hosea, the unfaithfulness, the judgment, the punishment of sin, and then the final chapter, which is entitled, Israel Restored at Last. Most of us look at the story of Hosea and his wife and think that was a horrible thing for God to require Hosea to do without acknowledging that is what we ask God to do repeatedly. We, with our track record of sin, no different than that of a harlot, want or proclaim to enter into a covenant relationship with God, expecting him to just accept us willingly as Hosea accepted God's orders. And God does. He accepts us. But we would never be so gracious to be that welcoming or that tolerant of another. We proclaim God to be the heads of our houses and our, and our lives, but we continually violate our covenant relationship with him, which is equivalent to adultery. When we scroll back, let's not forget that God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites from slavery, from the oppressive rulership of power. God fought for their freedom as he sent a multitude of plagues on Pharaoh until he conceded to free them. God went as far as parting the Red Sea so that the Israelites could cross into freedom on dry land. And then he devoured Pharaoh and his soldiers to make sure that their enemies could never regain power over them again. But as they embraced this newfound freedom, it wasn't long before their faith in God, their trust in his word became tainted and they became disobedient to the very one who performed miracles to save them. Now let's fast forward 2,000 years. As we can bear witness that the people of God today, just like the Israelites, 
have forgotten the things and the situations that God has brought them through. Some of you under the sound of my voice need to pause for a moment and think back at all that God has brought you through, the miracles that he has performed in your life, how he has rescued you from what should have killed you. How he has shown up time after time and made ways out of no way. And how he kept loving you when folk turned their back on you, when they lied on you, when they deceived you, when they ridiculed your name. See, when we make it to dry land, we forget how we got to where we are. And the evidence that we have forgotten shows in our tainted existence of the word of God in our lives. And it shows in how we blatantly disobey the word of God. Then to add insult to injury, we are so arrogant and so comfortable in our sin. We want to carry on as usual and celebrate Palm Sunday as usual. I'm here to tell you not on my watch. We get so caught up in our normal, our traditions, our celebrations, because everybody loves a good party, a good time. And everybody loves when everything seems joyous. It's just too bad that a celebratory spirit is not validation of the condition of someone's soul nor does it convey the genuineness of the relationship of one with the one being honored. John 12, 12 through 13 reads, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Oh, but I want you to be mindful. It was these same people who were singing Hosanna. These same people who were cheering for Jesus and laying down palms, celebrating his entry. These same people in a few days would be hollering, crucify him. I just don't believe that Jesus is impressed with our celebrations of Palm or Easter Sunday when we repeatedly disobey the word of God and take for granted what it cost him for us to have access to salvation. Again, the moment this message starts to ruffle your feathers this Palm Sunday morning, Take it up with God. I've been charged to talk to you briefly about three of the most popular means that we engage in that violate our covenant with God. And both are rooted in a spirit of idolatry. I'm talking about sex, money, and unforgiveness. Satan is funny how he has figured out how to use these three things which comfort our flesh and stroke our egos to manipulate and shackle us to his agenda and to keep us disconnected from the things of God. This month we at Bible Deliverance proclaim April as Wisdom Month, and we're studying from the book of Proverbs. And if you follow our Good Morning Truth, all of our Good Morning Truths are coming from the book of Proverbs. And on this Palm Sunday, we're going to reference the book of Wisdom. And I want to read to you an ex- some excerpts from Proverbs 5. And the Word of God says this, My son, Pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. 
for the lips of the adulterous woman drips honey and her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as gall sharp as a two-edged sword her feet go down to death her steps lead straight to the grave she gives no thought to the way of life her path wanders aimlessly but she does not know it now then my sons listen to me do not turn aside from what i say keep to a path far away from her do not go near the door of her house lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. The passages I just read from Proverbs 5 are sometimes declared as demeaning to women and depicting women in a negative manner. But see, when you understand who God is and truly believes that he loves you, and has no respect of person, be it male or female, then you will be able to read and study and understand Bible verses that they are written to either be descriptive or prescriptive. And Proverbs 5 is descriptive, as it is not prescriptive in its message about women, but it also applies to women about men. The message here is the discipline of one's flesh. And as you study the scriptures, we know this because as we study the word of God, we see the passage was written as the exaltation of wisdom from a father to a son. So that is the reason, the only reason for this passage being gender specific. While the passages are gender specific, the principles taught here are not. Sexual immorality and marital infidelity often lead to disaster and are to be judiciously avoided by both men and women. The closing passage reads, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths. It goes on to say the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die. Many of our souls will die at the day of judgment because of our lack of discipline, our inability to control our flesh. So why is sexual immorality such a big deal? I'm so glad you asked. The first clue is in Genesis 2, 24. With the words, one flesh. See, there is a great unifying power within a sexual union. God designed it to involve not only our bodies, but our souls, our hearts, to impact our lives and our lifestyles. Sex was designed to consummate the lifetime union between a man and a woman. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God designed male and female bodies differently so that they could come together in an act of physical intimacy that joined them together for life. In Mark 10 and 8, it says, they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
The act of becoming one creates a new entity, a family, which is the point of the divine gift. The pleasure component of sex is the reward intended to bless what God ordained. Think about it. The human race can only be reproduced by the coming together of a man and a woman. It is the only way we can continue to build on what God initiated. And when it's done within marriage, God blesses it. As sex is a gift to a husband and a wife, making their relationship unique amongst all other relationships. But outside of the confines of marriage, we cheapen God's gift. Sexual sin defiles more than just our physical bodies. It has a spiritual significance as it establishes soul ties. And ungodly soul ties are equivalent to shackles that are meant to nurture and keep us connected to and desensitize us to sin, evil, and deception. You have some critics that want to argue that the biblical passages referring to sexual sin degrade the pleasures of sin. Some people's defense for their sexual sin is that sex is a gift from God. And I can't and I won't argue with that at all. It is absolutely one of the most incredible and priceless gifts God has ever given us. And like we do our children, we don't measure our need to warn our children of danger based on the value we may have paid for a gift or the pleasure that the gift may provide our children. Maybe you'll understand it if I break it down for you like this. If you bought your child or your grandchild the latest and the most expensive gaming system that's out now, and they were so overjoyed about their gift that they, they wanted it to remain within their reach at all times, and, and you noticed or you heard the child say that they were about to take a bath and they were going to plug up this gaming system and continue to play it while in the tub, would you not say anything knowing that this child was risking being electrocuted? Would you not say anything knowing that they were likely to destroy the expensive gift that you gave them? Well, that is God's position on his gift of sex. He provides the parameters concerning how the gift should be utilized. And we see every day the repercussions and the consequences invoked by not following the designed instructions. The orgasmic release sex provides gives us a temporary high. But outside of the boundaries of God, we find ourselves operating in the realm of Satan's confines, which leaves us like drug addicts who have become so focused on that orgasmic high that we will manipulate, lie, deceive, mistreat, misuse others and resources. And most of all, go against our divine creator. All while expecting almost arrogantly enough, demanding his grace and mercy. All while chasing a high to satisfy our flesh. There are so many claiming that they are looking for a good woman or a good man, but they approach relationships with that same drug addict mentality, needing to experience that high as soon as possible because they base their compatibility with another on how well a person can mix and manage their sexual skills. Making one's ability to get them high more important than purpose, integrity, or even character. You know, this is a mindset of one who 
does not know God nor truly trust God. Because God is not in a habit of playing games with us or punking us. Imagine God Almighty, the creator of all things, the one we proclaim can do all things the very one who so meticulously designed the male and female body to come together. Imagine him all of a sudden becoming so fickle, so disconnected with purpose that he would send you a mate that you are not sexually compatible with. I just want to ask you, who is this God that you serve? We say we seek a godly man or a godly woman, but our prerequisite for committing to them or getting to know them requires that this godly man or this godly woman that we desire be willing to participate in what is deemed ungodly. And then we are so disillusioned by sex that we validate love based on sex. And John 1 John 4 and 8, the scripture tells us that God is love. If God is love, then mathematically speaking, God equals love, which means anything on the other side of that equal sign in the equation cannot include anything deemed sinful or ungodly according to the standards of God. We need to stop forging God's name on the disillusions of our flesh. God is looking for those who are willing and able to discipline their flesh so that he can exalt them to shift a culture and allow his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Now let us address the other branch of idolatry in this culture. I'm talking about money, greed, which is the whoredom of money. We allow money to manipulate too much of who we are without any regard for who God is. Our professional and political decisions are based solely on money, profit, not integrity, not purpose, and certainly with no regard to the righteousness of God. We're so lost that we choose our leaders voting for candidates solely on their promise to lower or not raise taxes. In Mark 12 and 17, Jesus told them to give Caesar what is Caesar's. He never said negotiate, beg, argue, debate with Caesar, who is the government. He said give Caesar what is Caesar's. What Jesus is saying is pay the taxes, whatever the government deems appropriate. Don't get caught up in the pettiness of dollars and cents as if you are a child of a beggar, as if you serve a God that won't come through for you. As believers, we are to walk with the attitude because of who my father is. I don't have to pimp my soul. I don't have to pimp my integrity. I don't have to violate my character or take a back seat to unrighteousness. If the government raises the taxes, you serve a God that will increase your income so that you'll never feel the loss. God wants us to have enough faith in who he is and whose we are, that our integrity, our stand for righteousness, not be able to be compromised by mere money. We sometimes act as if we serve a God who's on a fixed income. Our monetary portal keeps us from giving and sharing with others. When we hoard money, we violate God's principle concerning giving because we forget who really is our provider. We think we make things happen. That is just how disillusioned we have become as a people. It is the spirit of hoardism that prompts deceit and greed, selfishness, and all forms of fraud and theft. 
We are consumed with idolizing the rich and the famous. While conforming to the standards of this world, not recognizing the shackles Satan has on us, not recognizing how we are bowing to his agenda. We have folks selling their bodies, marrying for money, claiming other people's children for money, spending hours of screen time idolizing those with money. And then we have no problem spending and bragging about paying top dollar for material things. But then we turn around and treat the house of God like a side piece as we formulate all kinds of excuses to not contribute to the spreading of the gospel. As a believer, God chose you to partner with him in assuring that the funds are prevalent when it comes to spreading the gospel. You will never enter into a partnership more financially profitable than the one with God. God says he is the deal. I will give you the activity of your limbs, a mind with a thought process like none other. I'll give you vision and provision to acquire all that you want. And as your partner, you keep 90% of all the proceeds and give 10% to those who are committed to making sure that my word is preached to the masses. And on top of that, because as your partner, I want you to succeed in all you do. I will pay you interest even on the 10% that you give to my mission. Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. Notice those last six words. God is telling you, I shall have folk giving freely to you. In other words, you will receive what you don't even have to work for. Some of you love to brag about how hard you work for everything you have. That's really not something to brag about. Adopt the spirit of giving and watch God change your words to you being able to brag about how much you have that you didn't have to even work for or ask for. I don't care how many zeros are detailed in your bank balance. If you don't walk in a spirit of giving, you only have a portion of what God wants to release to you, but can't because God will not violate his principles to give to you when you disobey him. I'm not soliciting for you to give to Bible deliverance. Who and where you give is between you and God. My goal is to lead you to the path of abundant blessings. If you are a member of a church, give. Pay your tithes. Give your offering. If you're not a member of a church, give. Pay your tithes to a ministry that feeds you spiritually until God directs your path to membership. But don't forsake investing in the spreading of the gospel. We're so arrogant in our ways and our selfishness and so caught up in our flesh that we sin against God, then turn around and rob him. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 reads, But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. The scripture says you are cursed with the curse for you have robbed me even this whole nation. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The scripture goes on to say, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessings that you will not have room enough to receive. The word of God says, try me now in this. The only time God encourages us to test him is with our finances. Isn't that amazing? 
Last but not least this morning, I want to talk to you about forgiveness. Because we stand on an entitlement to not forgive those who have wronged us. As if we have not mistreated, disobeyed, ignored, broke covenant repeatedly with the one who has never left us, never betrayed us, who has covered us, protected us, and comforted us. And still extends grace and mercy, still continues to forgive us. But we want to hold on to unforgiveness towards somebody for what they did or what they said. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You cannot walk in the will of God harboring unforgiveness. You cannot honor the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus without exercising the ability to forgive. What if every time we messed up, every time we strayed off the path, God chose to judge us rather than extend grace and mercy? We wouldn't make it through an hour. Our inability to forgive is disrespectful and it displays an ungrateful attitude toward God Almighty. The key to forgiveness is in Luke 6, 27 through 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Now I know none of that is easy. But God never promised us his way would be easy. Jesus' life wasn't easy. God's promise to us was that he would never leave us. And that the reward for our commitment to re-righteousness would be greater than anything we could ever imagine or obtain for ourselves. As I wrap up this non-traditional Palm Sunday message today, I know there are still some under the sound of my voice who want to create excuses for sexual sin because you're not ready to break away from that. You're not mature enough to discipline yourself and your flesh. And you want to discount your sexual sin as a personal choice, similar to the decision of whether to buy a house or rent a condo. And in a sense, you're absolutely right. One sexual behavior is a personal choice. As God, the same God who gifted us sex, gave us another gift, free will. And you can use your free will any way you choose. And I know some of you think that the focus on money is, is just a, a church hustle. Because the world's popular stance on church and money is that all that the churches want is your money. Never thinking, that's all Walmart wants. That's all the restaurants that you frequent want. That's all the de designer labels that you buy want. Your checkbook ledger tells the story about who you serve and in whom you put your trust. And I want to tell you this morning, let nothing or anyone tie up your blessings because of what they've done or said to you. God wants to release in your life some things that he's been holding, some things that you've even been praying about. But because you're harboring unforgiveness, cannot release it to you because God will not put more on us than we can bear and there's some things that God wants to release to some of you that you're not mature enough in the discipline of your flesh you're not mature enough in the spirit of your giving you're not mature enough in unforgiveness 
for God to release all that he has for you. Please know that this message on this Palm Sunday was not exalted to condemn, judge, or violate your right to utilize your free will. This message was only delivered as the word of God for your betterment. My assignment is equivalent equivalent to that of a pizza delivery person. I'm just required to deliver the pizza, not to judge, comment, or come to any conclusions regarding whether you eat the pizza, throw it away, or feed it to your dog. But I want to include an order of breadsticks that come free with your pizza. What you need to know is the righteousness The mandates and the commands of God will never be impacted by your choices. God is never moved by popular opinion. His mandates and commands does not change with the trends. He's never moved by our actions or reactions to his word. With all the divine gifts with his grace and his mercy. The one thing God has never given man is the privilege of defining righteousness. I want to close with the reading of the message translation of Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. Once people have seen the light, gotten a taste of heaven and been part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Once they personally experienced the sheer sheer goodness of God's word and the powers breaking in on us. If then they turned their backs on it, washing their hands of the whole thing, well, they can't start over as if nothing has happened. That is impossible. Why? They've crucified Christ again. They've repudiated him in public. When we exalt any celebration to honor the birth, life, death, or resurrection of Jesus Christ, without repenting of our sins, and moving forward with the desire to strengthen our relationship with God, then we have mocked God. We have mocked the birth, the life, and the sacrifice of his son. Palm Sunday should be about remembering what Jesus was willing to sacrifice for us, about how even knowing his fate He never stopped teaching the word of God. He never stopped trying to be the light that would guide the people into the embrace of the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we ask that you forgive our sins. Forgive us for re-crucifying Jesus afresh. As we take his sacrifice for granted through our sin choices, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for taking his sacrifice for granted. Lord, we thank you for loving us enough to manifest yourself in flesh, to walk the earth, and to be the living example of righteousness, and then offer yourself up to pay a debt that we could never pay so that we could have access to eternal life with you in your kingdom. We give you honor, O God. We give you praise. We give you glory. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you so much for joining Bible Deliverance. Please note that you can submit 
biblical questions, prayer requests, or so into our ministry on our website at www.bibledeliverance.org. We also invite you to join our live Wednesday night Bible studies. Be blessed. Let me hear you make some Holy Ghost crazy noise right now. Let me hear. Come on. Come on, Zion. Clap those hands with me. Come on, come on. Oh, God's people. Come on, come on, Mike. Come on.